0: the Pac-12 regular season is over. And now we're starting to see coaches be fired. Who's keeping their job? Will some coaches who are winning be willing to fire their friends? And what the hell is going on at USC? Is Clay Helton fired or is he staying? Conflicting reports. And we find out that Kevin Sumlin got the the dreaded vote of confidence. And can Utah make the playoffs and of course the pac-12 power rankings i'm george reister with ralph amson and this is the pac-12 apostles ralph what the hell is going on in the conference man you got you got uh people wanting chip kelly to be fired or quit and he's not quitting he said he's not going anywhere kevin sumlin got the vote of confidence Clay Helton's been fired or maybe not. We got conflicting reports and Herm Edwards is cleaning house on a staff that went seven and five. Well, on the offensive staff, at least, and is and Mike Leach is just talking and talking away like he doesn't want to be there anymore.
1: Yeah, Uh, we uh, we got three fifths of the Pac-12 South, um, you know, uh, either rumored to make coaching changes or that are making coaching changes. Uh, you know, no, I guess nobody can stand Utah being the big dog. Um, but yeah, I, I think that, you know, the, the stuff about UCLA was really interesting. You know, I, I had tweeted that I felt like UCLA was in a good position uh, as well as Arizona um, was was in a good position to... Um, be better next year they were both very very bad this year which I expected obviously UCLA outperformed my expectations in conference play but I expected both these teams to be very bad in in the process of getting to the point where they had their guys in place and they made a little bit of a run in year three I still think both of them should be uh, doing that and staying the course but we get this rumor that Chip Kelly might be on his way out and then it gets refuted, um, and then I, you know, somebody responds to my tweet who used to play for Chip Kelly uh, that says that you know he absolutely is not getting better, and he definitely needs to get dismissed. And while I respect their opinion, it's very possible they're just a little bit too close to the situation. Uh, and then with the University of Arizona, uh, Dave Heek, the athletic director, after the game last night, he said, you know, we, it, you have to be patient. It's going to take time for this to build. They have absolutely no reason to believe that Kevin Sumlin's not going to write the ship. A lot of his assistant coaches' contracts are coming up or have already been fired, so he's going to have a chance to kind of rebuild from the ground up. I think that both of these are probably the right decision, um, but there's a lot of pressure on both guys next year for sure.
0: I mean, it, it seems, I mean, does Arizona have enough talent to win, though? Like, that's the biggest question because I've heard people say, oh, they're, their wide receivers are good, and I'm like, where? I don't see They're not it. No,
1: they have probably they have probably the worst of just power five wide receivers. They have the worst group. Their best receiver this year was a converted quarterback. Um, their third best receiver, another converted quarterback. Uh, they, um, Stanley Barry Hill, uh, you know who was the leading receiver coming from last year was a former walk on. Um, that, you know, they're just not good. The receivers messed up a couple of times last night leading to um, interceptions in the game against Arizona State. It's just not It's it, – they're so thin at wide receivers, so thin on the offensive line, on the defensive line at tight end and in the defensive backfield that they just need time for some of these young guys who got a lot of playing time this year to, uh, uh, to have that experience under their belt. The receivers need to learn how to receive. And then Grant Ganell with Noel Mazzoni is – a perfect pairing to build what they want to do offensively. You just have to hope that Kevin Sumlin's track record of absolutely ruining quarterbacks, um, <laughs> uh, or at least souring, at least souring quarterbacks on playing for him at all doesn't affect Ganell as well. Otherwise you're just going to have, you know, uh, another guy transferring out before his time is done. It's getting to the point where the, the list is long for Sumlin, whether it's, you know, somehow finding a way to ruin a very promising, uh, uh prospect in in Khalil Tate uh or the Kyler Murray thing or the Kyle Allen thing or the Kenny Trill thing or let Johnny Manziel get in a bunch of trouble um Kevin Sumlin's just got a really bizarre track record of mismanaging uh extreme talent at that position
0: yeah and when you look at his coaching regression 2011 at Houston 12 game 12 and 1 Texas A&M steps up to the SEC has Johnny Manziel 11 and 2 13, 9, and 4, 14, 15, 16, 8, and 5, and then 7, and 5 in 2017. And that's when he got fired. So he was probably going to go 8, and 5 that season as well. Goes to Arizona, 5, 5, and 7, and now 4, and 8. And truth be told, there is nothing that Arizona has shown. Unlike UCLA, where they seem to be getting better, at times at least, it does Arizona doesn't look like they're getting any better and it, it doesn't look like recruiting classes or the Texas pipeline or anything is coming out to save the day.
1: Yeah. The one thing about Arizona is, um, you know, Kevin Sumlin is he's probably not going to outwork you. He's probably not going to outcoach you, um, but he, but he can out recruit you uh, or at least that's what they were hoping for when they made this hire. And that just has not been the case yet. They did send out a bunch of tweets saying that they were all going to go out and recruit in-state the day after losing the territorial cup, which might not be the best timing, but um, it'll be interesting to see if they can right the ship. I mean, they fired their recruiting coordinator before the season started back in July, and that lost them to a bunch of the you know, lost them the connection to a bunch of guys that um, that I had thought that they they had a legitimate shot at. Um, the recruiting just isn't there. The coaching definitely isn't there. The relationships aren't there. They've shut everything down to the media, so the local media down in Tucson, um, you know, they're they're not they're not going to go out of their way to write anything favorable about him. But he's got a five million dollar buyout. Uh, well, it's ten million, but they'd have to pay him five million if they fired him today, and then five million again at the end of his contract when it comes up. And they just got done, you know, shelling out six million to get rid of Rich Rod, who was a fine coach and probably only really needed to be jettisoned because he was having extramarital affairs and and stuff like that. Um, but you know, I I think that it's been kind of a disaster so far. But if Grant Gannell and Noel Mazzoni can write this ship, then I you know, I think they'll be in a a decent position to at least maybe compete for a bowl game
0: next year. Yeah, but do you trust Kevin Sumlin's leadership to make sure that Grant Gannell is on a right path? Because I think that the way he handled Grant Gannell this year, their freshman quarterback, was the complete opposite of instilling confidence. I don't think he did um, anything like that.
1: Yeah, no, I I can't explain any of the decisions that he made with Tate or Gunnell this year. You know, I, I'd driven down to that game against UCLA to interview Tate, um, and then all of a sudden Tate wasn't playing, even though he had practiced all week and Gunnell was the guy. Then they went back and forth between the two of them but had no offensive rhythm or identity all year long. And then in a game that was very, very important for a University of Arizona coach to try to win, you know, they, they take on Arizona State, and you figure they can showcase the offense the way that it's supposed to be. And, uh, you know, and, and that would be um, a, a probably a really, really good choice for them to just roll with Gunnell. Or they can do Khalil Tate a favor and let him go out as a senior and try to beat ASU. And they had done Khalil Tate no favors up to this point, and they ran with Khalil Tate the entire game which I don't know if anybody saw coming. And so, you know, I don't know what Gennell's mindset is there. You know, if it, 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 so it's, I don't know, it's just a mess. This whole thing is a, is a giant mess of their making. And if Grant Gunnell um, decides that he's going to mentally tough it out and trust the process and, trust those coaches, then I think they'll be a little bit better next year. But the, you don't really have the track record to say
0: that Kevin Sumlin's going to do the right no, thing um, with his quarterbacks ever. Not at all. I mean, it, and if they hadn't just paid Rich Rod, I think that his job would definitely be in jeopardy, even though uh, I'm torn because I don't feel like coaches should be fired so quickly. But I also hate this – I I I feel like the coaching buyout bubble has to burst at some point in time, because coaching buyouts are so big. The coaches have so much leverage and power over the university that because the university lives in a scarcity mindset, they're like, oh, we don't we don't want a guy to leave, so so let's make his buyout really high and you know his guaranteed money. But in reality, if a coach is going to leave, he's going to leave. So I would not put. You know, huge buyouts on coaching salaries, because, but also, I'm not guaranteeing you a ton of money either. I'll I'll, I'll make your salary super high if, if need be, but I'm not turning around and paying you for for five, six years of of nothing, of you not working for me. So that means we're not giving you extensions until it's appropriate. We're not giving you extensions two years into a five year deal. No, you get you at least got to get to year four and we have a proven track record of what's happening. Or if you're severely underpaid, we'll we'll give you a big bonus. But we're not uh, throwing you, you know, having you committed to the school for eight years, nine years. Like you got um, like like you got Jimbo Fisher down at Texas A&M. They're probably having a little bit of buyer's remorse right now. Florida State, obviously buyer's remorse because they fired Willie Taggart. You have, you know, so many other coaches who have these huge buyouts and now the coaches and now the schools look silly. Absolutely.
1: And I mean, it, it's one of those things where it would take everybody being on the same page to say that we're not going to go down this road anymore because it's, it's just it's it's super toxic. I mean, there's a lot of things wrong with the way that we incentivize uh, uh, coaches and the way that their contracts are designed. You know, if like recruiting rankings are tied into salary bonuses, then all of a sudden you have coaches hitting up all these uh, recruiting evaluators and asking them to give players bumps and, you know, stuff like that. And then you've got got the fact that coaches can be on a four- to five-year deal or even longer, but assistants in some states can only be on a one-year deal. And so you have a hard time keeping assistants around, and they're the ones who actually do most of the coaching. Everybody's chasing that big money, so you have people – leaving before they're probably actually ready, uh, you know, from being position coaches to jump into uh, being a head coach, you know that you have a $12 million, $15 million buyout waiting for you. So what incentive do you have to go out there and, and do the absolute best job that you can do? You know, Todd Graham got hit with a $12 million buyout. They paid they paid Todd, million, uh, Todd, Todd Graham $12 million to go away after winning seven games To bring in Herm Edwards to just win seven games two more years in a row. You know, it just seems financially irresponsible um, for schools to be in this position, especially when so many of them are taxpayer subsidized or charging the students athletic fees to support the program or having already raised tons and tons of money for stadium upgrades, even though people don't go to the games anymore. It just, it all feels like a bubble that's probably going to burst or it's going to take just everybody sort of rebelling. Um, to to have it constrict back a little bit. But we're talking about this on the same day that Rutgers, you know, gave uh, Greg Schiano an eight-year deal. So maybe yeah, it's just going to keep
0: inflating. Uh, Who knows? It's got to stop somewhere just because there's so many bad deals that it's got to stop somewhere. I mean, because eventually the schools and the boosters are going to say, look, no mas, man. Because if you miss on a couple head coaches in a row and have to pay buyouts, that's no bueno. I mean look at look at USC. USC uh it's reported today from um what's his, what's his name? Adam Adam Maya,
1: former colleague of my Rivals, he now writes for um the way that Sports Illustrator works now is they have individual team sites kinda like Rivals in 24 7. And um he uh he's in a situation um where he was with Rivals and then he took over to be the site producer for maven slash Sports Illustrated for USC he's pretty plugged in he's gotten things wrong before um, but the USC local reporters are all sort of a giant mess uh if we're if we're being honest whether it's Scott Wolf or Chris Swanson or you know your guy Ryan Abraham he does a good job he doesn't rush to be out like to be first on a whole lot of things and I think Ryan Young's a pretty good uh, reporter as well I like Adam Maya, but they they Scott Schrader and and Scott Wolf and all those guys, they're just they are way too close to the program and or banned from even talking about the program. So you never really know what's true or what's not. They've messed a lot of things up. This is an interesting one because Sports Illustrated, their national guys are countering what their local guys said. And it's very possible that they have decided to fire him. It's also possible that no decision has been made. Uh, either way, this is a complete mess.
0: Oh, there is a new development about Clay Helton as we're talking so that um that USC has called a team meeting for 5:30 this evening is being reported that they team meeting for 5:30 this evening and it's normally a day off so what <laughs> so so what this means is um so so what this means is that that there will be some announcement today But the announcement, it's either that the USC wants to tell the reporters first. Or, I'm sorry, tell the players first. And then let the news get out. Or, they're telling the players that Clay Helton is coming back. Yeah, I mean, one of those two things is coming at 5.30 today. And Bruce Feldman sent out a tweet. He said um, that on the athletic he said and, and and bruce feldman is a guy who um who is very reliable if bruce feldman says it it's it's true i mean pretty would, would you agree with that ralph yeah yeah he's very, bruce feldman is very plugged in yeah yes. so he said that clay helton report uh is not based in any reality and that and that his USC sor- source says on the Clay Helton report the only one who's getting fired today is the guy who reported that. <laughs> oh man, what a mess. Um I mean
1: it would be it would be really really weird to have a team meeting um it would be really really weird to have a team meeting for them to fire Clay Helton after spreading to every national reporter that nobody's getting fired and that Adam Maya was in the wrong. So my guess is they get the whole team together and tell them, you know, sit tight, no, no decision's going to be made, probably even through the bowl game, which might not be the smartest thing to do if you're USC because things are really tough as far as, you know, the recruiting class, or it's very possible that they sign him to a new deal. And sign Clay Helton to, to a new home.
0: deal? Why would you sign him to a new deal? You don't need to. You literally for don't recruiting
1: purposes because recruit because recruiting's a mess and you have to call the recruits bluffs.
0: He already has a deal through twenty twenty three.
1: Yeah. But you got you got you gotta call the they, recruits they, bluffs though, because they, they believe that he's gonna get fired. And if you know that under no circumstances he getting fired, you'll see the recruits start to come around. The ones who are holding out to see if they can force change. Um, which is a interesting strategy that seemed to feel like it was maybe gonna work, and then all of a sudden you have you know an and 8 and 4 USC team um that finished uh second in the in the Pac-12 South.
0: Yeah, like I I've, I've heard from people I I just heard from somebody in the IE recently and they were like Justin Flo wants to go to USC. He wants to. That he just doesn't feel like he can right 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 now because of the coaching situation and all of that. So you might even be be right. Yeah. I the, I'm real I'm really excited to see what Wait happens it, at five thirty today. I can see Clay Helton standing up in the in the front of the team like the like the wolf of wall street. <laughs> like, I'm not leaving. I'm not fucking leaving. Yeah. Uh he's a nice I mean, he's a nice guy, and
1: uh and I just I feel like 80% of the fan base, maybe 85% of the fan base, is ready to move on and would be incredibly frustrated by um, them deciding to retain him. I'm also really interested to see if ultimately if Adam Ma- Maya's report forces their hand or if there was enough accuracy to Adam Maya's report that they just hadn't informed Clay Helton yet that he was going to be let go. Um, either way, USC stays the talk of the town.
0: And there, there was an interesting John Wilner article about how much money USC is losing. And they said that they're losing that with Clay Helton as the coach. Attendance is down a certain percentage that instead of averaging, you know, like 76,000, like they did when in 2017, Sam Darnold's last year, they're down to like 57,000, which translates to at least, he said that this number is conservative, at least $9 million in revenue is what cost them $20 million to fire Clay Helton, but they're losing $9 million. In and just stadium and ticket money, plus any merchandise and all of that and donations. I mean, the, uh, USC's in such a bad situation right now with Clay because there's so much money wrapped into it, like we were talking about that buyout bubble. But then fans are just enraged. They're like, get him. We want somebody else. And then you got Urban Meyer, who the boosters want, but he wants ten years, hundred million dollars. That's what what we're hearing. I, I, I don't. I mean, it just seems like they're stuck between a rock and a hard place right now. And like and like I tweeted over a week ago, I was like, "Listen, Clay. I think that Keaton Slovis might have saved Clay Helton's job. Uh, maybe, maybe. I I don't know what to think. I know that so far the only school that's making any changes on their staff is
1: Arizona State. They dumped the offensive coordinator, the coach, and the wide receivers coach this morning." After, after getting a win over Oregon and in the Territorial Cup. Uh, so, you know, you have one school that's trying to be decisive with their coaching situation, at least.
0: Well, I I think that that's what you have to do, that you have to evaluate your talent, evaluate your team, and evaluate where you're going and if you guys have the same vision. Because the coaches have to be on the same page with the same vision, especially with the offensive coordinator. And then, and then you have people trying to blame Herman Edwards for – ASU's offensive struggles he, he's not even involved with the offense exactly I, and I I think I'm I'm kind of proud of Herm Edwards today for
1: because you know I I had wondered is Herm Edwards just this nice guy right is he too nice to take control over the team because the a lot of the guys that he has in his employ are left over from when Todd Graham was here the thought was Ray Anderson thought that he could just replace Todd Graham with Herm Edwards and everything would run better with the current staff that was in place. Well, the current staff that was in place, the offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator, uh, decided that that was not a situation they wanted to be in, and they both moved on. And so Arizona State was in a position where they had to hire a D.C., they hired Danny Gonzalez from San Diego State, and they had to hire an offensive coordinator. Well, they wanted some continuity from Manny Wilkins, who had already had three OCs in three years. So they just promoted the wide receivers coach, uh, Rob Likens, who's, only, um, <laughs> whose only experience as an offensive coordinator prior to that was at Kansas, where he had the responsibilities taken away from him by David Beatty. And so Rob Likens won 14 games in the last two years, kind of calling things off of a play chart, you know, like a best practices play chart. He, he didn't really have the best instincts as an offensive coordinator. He made a couple of really bad calls, like a toss play against Oregon state instead of playing, uh, for overtime and the fans were, you know, and Arizona State fans get sick of every offensive coordinator, including Mike Norvell, who, you know, they were happy to see him leave. And now they always ask to, you know, wonder if they could ever have him back. Um, and now that he's won three straight AAC, uh, uh, his half of the conference championship out in um, out uh, at Memphis. Um, but, you know, ASU fans get real sick of the OC every single year, no matter who who it is. And, um, and so that frustration with Rob Likens, you wondered... If it was uh, based in reality, uh, and Herm Edwards, you know, felt it too, felt some of that frustration too, or if it was just sort of, you know, too high expectations for what Arizona State was bringing to the table. Turns out, Herm Edwards <laughs> sat them down the morning after getting two big wins and says, "Hey, you know, there should be no surprises here. I've set my expectations for you guys. You haven't met them." He told the media, "You have to be scoring in the mid 30s if you want to compete the Pac-12. We score in the mid 20s. It's not good enough." And you wonder if he's going to go through the hiring process of looking for the best guy for the job, or if it's just going to kind of be more of the getting the band back together uh, type situation out of Arizona state. And you see a guy like Hugh Jackson, maybe come in and coach the offense since they've already got Marvin Lewis on staff and they, and Kevin of why, and they're trying to build that NFL presence. There's a really good chance that instead of going out and getting the best OC available, like at, you know, getting a guy from Boise state or getting a guy from, uh, Baylor or even going after uh Darren Chiverini the wide receivers coach out of Colorado that they just bring in Hugh Jackson and continue to you know <laughs> make this uh the ASU version of like old dogs of just getting the, <laughs> get getting the old friends together uh so they can have one last hurrah.
0: Oh, I totally agree. Oh, and and also another quick note on the USC thing. Clay Helton and Kerry C- Colbert posted well j- Joshua Jackson, the, the recruit, the, um, he posted a picture an hour ago with Clay Helton and Kerry Colbert in his living room with a Christmas tree and, and, and his family. Nothing. <laughs> and, and, and that Mike Bone isn't even in Los Angeles right now. And he comes back this evening. So how on earth does this make sense? I mean it doesn't, but they also,
1: you know, Tyler Shuck was also posting pictures with, uh, with Willie Taggart from his living room while Willie Taggart was excusing himself to the backyard to have phone conversations
0: with Florida State. So, <laughs> yeah, but the difference in that is, is that uh, <laughs> Willie Taggart was trying to leave, and um, yeah, Playhouse Willie Taggart, to stay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because when you're getting fired, they pull you and your staff off the road. And like, and if it were reported that he were being fired already, he would not have been meeting with the recruit. Guaranteed.
1: <laughs> my favorite thing about that tweet you're talking about about that Josh Jackson Jr. tweet where he tweeted out a picture of him and Carrie Colbert and the whole family in the living room is the first reply is the barstool Twitter account. Uh, and it just says, "Fight on, Josh." But the barstool Twitter account changed its display name to fire Clay Helton now." <laughs> So this entire fan base, is, <laughs> this entire fan base is a giant mess.
0: Oh man! And then you got in LA too. You have obviously the Chip Kelly. People are wondering what the heck is going on with Chip Kelly. Is he gonna quit? All of that, but um, it, it's just a mess. And, and oh, oh, and and then your boy is talking again. Your boy Mike Leach. <laughs> so, I, I, after the game, um after they lost in the Apple Cup against Washington for I think what the 7th or 8th straight 7th year in a row,
1: yeah. yeah. Mike Mike Leach, first of all, Mike Leach has never beaten Washington. So uh that's that that's part of this. Uh and he's a little touchy about it. And John Blanchette, uh, uh a sports columnist for the Spokesman Review, um Asked Mike Leach why he keeps losing in the Apple Cup, and Mike Leach is like, "Well, their players are better. You you know about recruiting rankings. Why wouldn't why would it be a surprise if they win if they've got better players?" John Blanchett followed up with, "Are you not supposed to beat teams with higher ranked recruits?" And that's when your boy Mike Leach lost his mind.
0: <laughs> he called them a sanctimonious troll. It, it, <laughs> I, what were your thoughts on that, Ralph? Because I, cause I have some strong opinions on it, and, and Mike Leach in general. I mean, I've got so I've got some mixed feelings on it. There's,
1: there's this obvious weird pathology of Mike Leach where he never takes responsibility for anything, right? Like that exists in this, in this moment. I, we've already seen him bash the players, and then has watched his defensive coordinator. Uh, resigned via, you know, John Deere letter um, a couple of days later. And, and, you know, we've watched him now do this, where he talks about his players not being as good coming out of high school, which again, it's his responsibility to make sure that he gets better players and also that he coaches them up. And it's also never a problem when they go out and upset somebody. Um, But, you know, uh, so uh, we, it's just more of the same from Mike Leach. So that's one half of it. The other half of it is, (laughs) I don't mind when coaches come out and blow up these columnists because a job exists, you know, in in our side of things, a job exists solely for people to be critical. That's their entire job. So when Mike Leach said, I don't know what koog hurt you, (laughs) I was cracking up. Because sometimes I wonder about just the necessity of our profession um, to begin with, of just everybody being critical of every decision that they're not present for in that moment, or just carrying the idea that these guys don't want to be successful, right? Um, And so I think that the columnists and critics do go overboard sometimes. And so sometimes it's fun to have a coach call call them on the carpet for those things. But it it doesn't do much good when it's Mike Leach, who, again... Never takes responsibility for anything, and this was just more of that.
0: Oh yeah, and what? And the thing I thought was, I thought the question was very fair. When you bring yes. up the fact that they have better recruits, and that that's why they win, then you're you're also basically saying, "I a I do a terrible job of recruiting. I can't recruit here at this university," and. Then the follow-up was, okay, so you're not supposed to beat teams with higher-ranked recruits? It was a fair question when you brought it up. Yeah. And Mike Leach has to start taking some responsibility for what's going on at Washington State and when they lose and also take responsibility for his team because he regularly just passes the buck on, oh, the players are dumb, slow, entitled, all of this. Maybe it's just you, bro. Maybe you are the problem and maybe your offense, which I described on this podcast uh, a couple episodes ago on how to stop the air raid, Mike Leach's air raid offense. Maybe that is the problem. Maybe it's too predictable. Maybe it's easy to stop an offense where all you have to do is take away the deep stuff and come up and tackle and make them throw the ball to the back and make them take 15 plays to score. Eventually somebody will drop a pass or get a penalty something else and then you will stall drives and also it work it doesn't work well in the red zone at all so you know maybe it's you maybe it's not everybody else and maybe you should go to go to Arkansas and you know and win win six games seven games a year there
1: i mean they'd probably be thankful at least for a couple of years i think he i think Mike Leach has gotten to the point where he genuinely believes the team would be nothing without him and he might not be wrong about that um but it's still not a good headspace to be in because it, as with anything if you're not humble and hungry you know you're going to have issues and so um I, he's definitely not humble and i'm not sure how uh, how hungry he is to win um at at Washington State right now if he's letting reporters get under his skin this much if he can't convince coaches to stay on staff um you know you you've got you've got guys who know how to run the air raid now you know there's an entire tree of people who have either you know run it under him like Graham Harrell or Cliff Kingsbury there are guys out there that can coach that offense and it might it might ultimately behoove Washington State to let him walk and bring in somebody like Graham Harrell to be head coach of the team um, so that you can have the same type of flavor that keeps oh, you competitive.
0: That might be the move. I like when you think outside of the box, Ralph. Well, we, we, I mean, we got to wait
1: for this team meeting to find out if some dominoes are going to fall.
0: Yeah, I I mean, I, I just can't imagine that, like, if Mike Bone, if he doesn't get in until later on tonight, unless he's going to be at that team meeting, I mean, w- w- who who's gonna announce that the coach is fired if it's not the AD? Yeah, who's gonna announce that the coach is staying besides the AD? <laughs> I mean, is 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 Clay Hilton quitting? You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. the so so weird. Let me run um, let me
1: run one comment by you because uh, there was a guy named Uso Olive who was uh, played high school football in the state of Washington and he had he was committed to Washington State when Paul Wolf was the head coach. And uh, he ended up playing his college ball at Wyoming, and he, uh, he tweeted this out, and I wanted your take on it. He said, I was committed to Washington State in high school when Paul Wolf was the head coach. That same year, Mike Leach was brought in, and he pulled all of the scholarships from us Washington kids and brought in players from California and Texas. And that's why they don't care for the Apple Cup. Recruit in-state players. Do you think that the players don't care about that rivalry? Do you think that that's part of it, George? Uh,
0: I mean, they should care about winning and losing. You yeah. know what I mean? I, 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 and the the rivalries are taught more than they are you know, in steel. Because when I got to Oregon, I thought Oregon State was our biggest rival. And then when Husky Week came out, I found out otherwise. I found out what it really was about. So it's more taught than it is, you know. Just, just, you know, in-state recruits know these things. It, it's definitely, you know, an inherited deal. You know, it's like kid kids aren't born racist; they learn to be racist. Same, same thing with with rivalries. They aren't born knowing what rivalries are; they just learn them. Um, what is your oh? Do you have your Pac twelve power rankings? This is a mess
1: every single time we do it, but I think I feel a little bit better about um about where we're at on on this this time. Um you know, I've got uh I I can pretty solidly How how much how much have yours changed from last week? Not a lot. Not a lot, because um Oregon took care of business, Utah took care of business, pretty much everybody on the top half um, did what they were supposed to, and everyone on the bottom half lost. So I don't know, I don't know how much I would actually change, if any. Uh, to me, to me, this is the first week where I think everything s- sort of went the exact way that you would have expected it to go. Uh, Stanford probably deserves a little bit of credit for how they played in the first half against Notre Dame, um, but you know, ultimately it rounded out a four and eight season for them, in which they went three and six in conference. So they're going to be on the bottom half. So I, I, you know what, if I, as I'm looking at it, I don't have any changes. Um, I don't have any changes per se. It's, I do have Arizona state ranked above UCLA. And I think that there's that, you know, you, you had, do have to point out that UCLA beat the living hell out of Arizona state, but UCLA has so many big and bad losses. And Arizona state has that win over Oregon, that that's really what I use to justify, um, justify my rankings there but um yeah i I don't really have any changes from last week at all arizona is number 12 (laughs) that 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 just needs to be
0: stated and i did i don't have any changes either i mean my rankings are the exact same as last week i have arizona 12 stanford 11 colorado 10 oregon state 9 washington state 8 ucla 7 washington 6 Cal five, ASU four, USC three, Oregon two, Utah one. That it's the, it, I, I felt like that this was the first time that I got them right and they stayed exactly the same the next week.
1: And I think that even, even though ASU did beat Cal head to head, I think that that one, you can almost have like a tide for fourth totally. in, uh, in, in that one yeah. just because of how, how it, it's so very obvious that this is a different team with Garbers at quarterback.
0: Yeah, yeah, they're not even. Yeah, they, that's one of those things where the offense puts you in better position for for where you are. And now, and the biggest question is for everybody: is who's going to the playoffs? Like, do you believe Utah can make the playoffs? Because they're because they're going to be in the five spot um, when the college football playoff rankings come out on Tuesday, and you know, and then if Georgia beats LSU. I don't see a way that that they fought, that they that they're not in the fourth spot because I don't think that Oklahoma is going to be able to jump them with a Baylor win.
1: Well, so here's my question for you, George: Should everyone be rooting for Utah?
0: Uh, I I won't be, but but I understand why other Pac-12 people would would be. I mean, I just can't root against my own team. For Utah to make the playoffs, even though I do believe Utah could make some noise, especially against LSU, that that would be the ideal pairing for them would be LSU. Um, so I, I definitely if they, if they do beat Oregon, I'm going to in the Pac-12 playoff. I'm in the Pac-12 championship. I will be rooting for them to win the college football playoff. But as far as everybody else in the conference, uh, I, I, I would hope so. I would hope they're rooting for him, but I don't even know if Larry, if Larry Scott is, because he's like, "Oh, maybe if Oregon wins, we can get two New Year Six bowls. That'll give us some more money, and then we can say that things are better, and then get a TV deal." I, I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I
1: even it, regardless of what happens. I mean, even if it ends up being completely disastrous um, for the Pac-12, I, I would think that Larry Scott would just come out and, 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 uh, you know. Spray the turd with Febreze like he usually does. Um, I you know I I think that uh, I I think that if you're basing it off of the amount of money that you want your school to get, then I, would it not be better because Oregon would go to the Rose Bowl regardless, right? And so would it would it not be better for Utah to get into the playoff and even win a game, um, as far as financially for the entire conference. Uh, so, I mean, if you're looking at it from that perspective, um, you know, I do know a lot of Pac-12 fans who who don't enjoy <laughs> Utah and their brand and the way their fans talk smack, but do actually have quite an appreciation for the way this team is coached and constructed. Um, you know, I I and I I also think that uh, you know with 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 Oregon sort of out of it, it it would be interesting because it would give Utah the opportunity to, to find out whether they're actually for real or not, or if they just ran through kind of a weak Pac-12 South, uh, which they didn't run through them. They lost to uh, USC's third-string quarterback. Um, but I do think that it would be nice to have that opportunity. Uh, at the same time, you know, may the best team, may the best and, and best coached team win. I think that Utah probably has uh, a few advantages in that game. Um, and I think that, you know, Oregon definitely has the speed. Uh, I, I'm just looking forward to the game, man. I'm really looking forward to seeing that game being played.
0: Yeah. All right. So let's go. Let's go through the games real quick. Um, okay. So I guess we'll we'll start at the beginning. We had the Washington State Cougars uh, versus the Washington Huskies, where that game was on Friday night. The Apple Cup. This was a total wipeout. I mean, Washington State, They their offense was just held in check. There was no, you know, it, it was a situation to where they did not have any hope, really. They only got, what, 16? No, 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 no. Actually, no, they, they, they got a ton of first downs, 27 first downs. But at the end of the day, it was kind of what I was saying. They made them throw the ball underneath, and they made them, like, they came up and tackled. They just did not allow big plays, which is how to stop the air raid offense. Because they only averaged six point four yards per completion. Yeah, six point four yards. No, I noticed they, they were about threw the ball sixty two times for three hundred yards. Right, and that,
1: and that was that was paired equally amongst the first and second halves. And so, um, I thought it was a masterful defensive performance by uh, by Washington than um, just a, a a complete act of stubbornness by Mike Leach and this coaching staff to go about things the way um, that they did. There are things that have worked against Washington this year that other teams have been able to execute, but you still want to go out there and you want to do your dink and dunk. You find out in the first half that it's pretty clearly not working. I think they had thirty first half pass attempts for under 150 yards passing, and there's not really an adjustment made there. And now you're forced into – um, throwing, you know, you're not going to go over the top. They had you exactly where they wanted you. And then Anthony Gordon starts to make some mistakes uh, because you can't just count on him to be perfect all the time. And it was, it was, it was dominant. It was a, uh, it, it's the same thing that Utah did to Washington state. It's the same thing that to a lesser extent, Arizona state did. And it just, you know, it contributes to what was a really, really bad year for Washington state. I mean, well, they did play very well at home. I'll give them that. They were five and one at home. They finished the year 0 and five on the road and three and six in the conference. After you know, Mike Leach bragged that uh, that they had more wins than anybody else over the last four years in the Pac-12. They even finished behind Stanford. So, not a lot to be proud of for Washington State in the Pac-12 North this year.
0: Oh, not a, not at all, not at all, man. Like, I mean, when when you look at Washington and Washington State's. Finish to the season. It wasn't good. It wasn't good. I mean, wa- Washington fans are screaming for um, they're they're screaming for Chris Peterson to be fired. Washington State fans, they don't know what they want.
1: Um, well, Washington, Washington should have won nine games this year. There's two losses on their schedule that there's probably absolutely no excuse for. So it's a, it's kind of a disappointing and confusing year for them to have that Stanford loss, as well as the, um, the loss at Colorado, those two things are inexcusable. And even at nine and three, this is probably a team that's going to be regretting the one point loss to Cal at three in the morning or whatever. And so, um, I think this team definitely underperformed and should be frustrated. And I think they need to take a long, hard look at the offensive staff, and find out what it takes to be successful and score points. And, you know, Herm Edwards was very decisive coming out and firing everybody after getting seven wins. Um, But, you you know, you don't see Washington doing the same thing. And I think the expectations were much higher for Washington than they were for Arizona State.
0: Oh, for sure. For sure. Uh, and, And Washington finishing four and five in the conference and seven and five overall, that's not what they signed up for. They have the same record in conference as Oregon State and Cal. And UCLA and Arizona State, because there are only three teams with winning conferences in the uh, with winning records in the conference that it it, in conference play. That's Utah, USC, and Oregon. That's it. Nobody else has a winning record, which is not typical, and that's why you only find three teams ranked in the Pac-12 right now. Three. That's it. Oregon, Utah, and USC. That that's literally it. Um. I mean, and and you need and everybody would have thought there would have at least been a fourth team with Washington and maybe even Cal. Such is such a disappointment. And now you got Washington State's going to be looking for a new quarterback next year. Uh, Washington may be looking for a new quarterback. Their fans don't love Eason. (laughs) They don't like uh, Hamlin the offensive coordinator hamler the offensive coordinator that they're mad at chris peterson this is what happens when you lose it sucks
1: i agree um i i think that uh i i don't think that anybody should be talking about chris peterson's job um but i do think that that you know that all i should be focused on what they do next year because they can't underperform like that two years in a row especially in conference play that was you know, again, two of their losses are completely inexcusable.
0: Now, on to the a game that I thought was gonna be a shocker when I looked up at the score, because there were so many good games going on at the time that I couldn't watch the entire Notre Dame Stanford game. So I turned it on probably midway through the first quarter. And Stanford was playing well. I and I looked over at, at my wife, I was I said Babe, there's no way that this score holds. She said, "Why not? I'm, t- you know, they can win." I was like, "Babe, they- Stanford's broken. They cannot win this game." And she thought I was crazy for saying that this wasn't going to hold because they, um, they, like the- they were up, they were up what, like twenty-one to three, twenty-one seven, something, something along.
1: They were up. They were up seventeen to seven with a little over three minutes left in the second yeah, quarter, and
0: then it all just went left from from there stanford only managed seven points and you know davis mills had a decent day but truth be told when you look at the stat line from this game it wasn't impressive on either side like you you had stanford have almost 400 yards of total offense and notre dame like like 440 no uh, no rusher had over 50 yards. You had a bunch of guys in the 40s and 30s. I mean, aside from Ian Book's touchdown passes, I just didn't see anything that showed me that Stanford is, that they have anything ready for next season.
1: Yeah, I mean, they bring some of these guys back, right? So um, they their offensive line was completely devastated this year, which gives some experience to the guys that are that are coming in behind uh Cameron scarlett has
0: gone. he's you know that that's over with <laughs> you know yeah it seems like he was in school for like a- as long as Peyton Pritchard has been at Oregon running point guard
1: yeah, the one thing that you don't you don't want if you're Stanford is to have your feature back um close out his senior season with uh four point two yards per carry average and less than nine hundred yards rushing. I mean he had fifteen hundred sixty nine uh, rushing yards for his career, which is almost at this point what you expect the feature back at Stanford to be doing, um, all by themselves. You know, he and he. It, what's crazy is he pretty much was their offense this year, 226 touches, but only got in the end zone seven times. Um, that they're, they're going to have to find somebody to carry the load at at running back. That's going to be a really really big thing for them. Uh, at, at, quarterback and receiver, I think they're okay. And now they have some experience on the offensive line. So if they're going to commit to being a pro style offense and bring in the, the right coaches to make sure that that's the case, I think they'll be able to score next year, but defensively, uh, they're lacking some athletes and they need to figure out how to pressure the opposing team's passer to, Make sure they're competitive, but I, I, I mean, I don't see. I could see them being better, but I can't see them getting back to that threshold of winning around ten games.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with that because Cameron Scarlett finished ninth in the conference in rushing. Stanford's running back finished ninth in the conference in rushing, and you know they had no
1: after being relatively healthy all year too. Yeah,
0: I, I, I mean. It, it's just not a good look and the leading rushers in the regular season you had zach moss 1246 yards 15 touchdowns joshua kelly put it on another thousand yard performance 12 touchdowns salvin ahmed cracked just right at a thousand um <clears throat> with nine touchdowns and no benjamin at 1083 with 10 touchdowns I mean, that that's very interesting to me. The the thing I noticed about that was the number five. So you had C.J. Verdell at five point nine yards per carry, but only had five touchdowns. And I think that that's an area of like when you look at the at those backs. So Zach Moss is a senior. You got Joshua Kelly, who's a senior. Salve, Savannah Med is a junior at Washington, and no Benjamin. Do you think he's going to come out in the draft? Yeah, he's gone. Yeah, so so you got a no-bit Benjamin. Oh, J.J. JJ Taylor in his 700 yards. He's gone to the draft. He's gone, yeah. So it, it's like, who's going to be the – and you got Artavius Pierce at Oregon State gone – I mean, besides Jamar Jefferson next year, who's going to be a big time back in this league that we foresee that's going to be returning? Right.
1: That's going to be exciting. It's going to be exciting to see who takes the mantle.
0: Yep. Um, Okay. The next game up is Oregon State and Oregon. And the score 24 to 10 was nowhere near an indication of how this game looked. I I I was as an Oregon fan, I was happy this game was on Pac-12 Network. I didn't want anybody <laughs> to see this. Because the score at halftime was 17 to 3. Oregon didn't score again until the point in time where they actually should have been taking knees. Except for they don't really take knees, they just run the clock out. So they were up 17 to 10. And they accidentally scored a touchdown with like under a minute to go in the game because uh Oregon State had a turnover so like the game was absolutely over but they didn't score in the second half they scored on a kickoff return by uh Michael Wright I believe and so the offense only managed 10 points only managed 10 points Oregon State their offense their defense their defense is giving was giving up thirty two points. Well, actually thirty four points a game coming into this game. Thirty four points and giving up five of uh, four hundred and fifty yards of total offense. And Oregon just came out and laid a dud. And they and truthfully they laid a dud against Arizona State, even though the stats turned out okay because they had a big push at the end. The Arizona's they were underwhelming offensively against Arizona as well. Something is wrong with this offense, Ralph. Something is wrong with the offense.
1: Yeah, I think that um, I think that there's probably gonna be that little bit of a letdown, knowing that they're more talented than Oregon State, but they lost that game at ASU and Oregon State just had a lot more to play for. Uh, and then all of a sudden the game plan kind of goes out the window because you got Tristan Jebia, who's a little bit more mobile than Jake Luton. Uh, playing quarterback. And unfortunate for Jake Luton that his career comes to an end like this with an injury and no bowl game. But I, I got to say, nobody's really improved from freshman to senior year the way he did. I mean, he, he was a freshman at Idaho in 2015, throwing one touchdown, four interceptions. He ends up closing out his uh, super senior year <laughs> with 28 touchdowns, three interceptions on a team that didn't even make a bowl. Um, just a fantastic senior season for him. They got the most out of him. Um, but yeah. And so this game meant more for Oregon state. They actually outgained Oregon. Um, and, uh, I I think, yeah, something's probably wrong with this offense. It's just a a matter of Justin Herbert needs to get a little bit loose or they've put enough on film, um, that, that it's kind of become a thing where they need to make some adjustments, uh, and, and have some surprises, um, But I I will say that it's definitely concerning going into a game against Utah. You don't want to be stale offensively. And two defenses that were given up a ton of points before they faced Oregon uh, were ASU (laughs) And and Oregon State, and both of them played very very well uh, against this Oregon offense, and so I think there's definitely some things to be concerned about. Oregon has still had a really special year and made uh, an enormous improvement over last year, um, but just kind of like you brought up with running backs, you know, not necessarily scoring a bunch of touchdowns even if they get yards. That's just it, you know. There haven't been a lot of real breakaway threats in the Pac-12 this year. And as far as Oregon goes, you know, that that's definitely been an issue for them. They can chew up yards, but then they kind of depend on Justin Herbert to get the touchdown pass. And he's, you know, who knows what's going through his mind right now, but he's struggling a little bit.
0: Yeah, he, he's he been wildly inconsistent since, you know, kind of since the Washington State game. Wildly. I mean, the, in the Arizona State game, like when you look back at the Arizona, Arizona State and Oregon State games, there are some throws that you just are head scratching. You're like... is this guy really a first-round pick? I mean, because he's put together such a body of work that shows he's a first-round pick. But then there's, like, those three games, you're just sitting there just like, are you, like, has the pressure of the national championship, potentially college football playoff, and the the Pac-12 championship, saying healthy for the draft have all of those things just been kind of mounting on 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 his brain and kind of you know been taxing on his on his life really like i'm wondering maybe i i think one of the things that could really free
1: him up though is they got to get him out on the run he's big and he's athletic and that can change up how he's being defended if they have to spy him if you take away a defender and they have to spy him then that just gives him more options in the passing game and I feel like they have tried to make him more of that prototypical pocket passer. You know, it's still college football. Use all the tools at your disposal, and that's where you're going to be the biggest threat. Um, you know, I, it does feel like it's just a giant audition for the pro scouts at this point. And yep. He's made some really impressive throws. But, you know, if you're not a professional offensive coordinator, then you shouldn't be trying to do Correct. professional scheming. Yep. You know, yeah, it's college football. I, it's and, fun. And get I him get out get on the run. Want to
0: keep him healthy. But at the same time, you know, players build on momentum. And uh, a, a few people asked me about Marcus Arroyo, Oregon's offensive of coordinator. And he's obviously a fantastic recruiter. He does a great job at that. But I, but I have been one, wondering necessarily if he should, you know, if he is the guy to kind of push things forward. For for Oregon offensively, because he's done a better job this year than the previous year. That his first season, it was his first season ever being an offensive coordinator. But uh, there's a lot of people who think that he's poised to at some point in time be a head coach. So it's one of those things like, how do you kind of balance it when you have a a, a great recruiter who is not necessarily the best offensive coordinator. But then, like he adds so many value he adds so much value in some areas. He's coach Cristobal's friend. I mean, like, how do you make a decision about a coach in that situation? I think, I think that's tough.
1: And just looking at Herbert, I mean, freshman year, 20 rushing yards a game. Sophomore year, 23 rushing yards a game. Junior year, 14 and a half rushing yards a game senior year, 42 carries for 1 net yard.
0: That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they they clearly as a team made a conscious effort to not run him. I mean, and even even who? Even uh, Alabama runs Tua at at times. That's the crazy part about it is that like a- every quarterback has to run at some point in time, and that includes Um, And that includes him. So, you know, it will be interesting to see who ends up in the Rose Bowl because you got Oregon, who it looks like will end up in the Rose Bowl either way, no matter what happens in the Pac-12 championship, because you got, they would, if they lose to Utah, Utah's going to the college football playoff, which would then put Oregon in the Rose Bowl. But there are some people who believe that the Rose Bowl may actually choose USC because they get a choice. What do you think?
1: Um, I don't think so. I think that you 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 got to go with Oregon in that circumstance. Um, and then, you know, we're also presupposing that LSU is going to take care of business against Georgia to make sure that if Utah wins, that, you know, it happens for them. Um, and, you know, LSU is as hot as any team in the country right now. So I wouldn't bet against them, but, you know, there is a scenario where, Georgia wins, LSU doesn't fall far back enough, and uh, and all of a sudden, you know, Utah is the one in the Rose Bowl and Oregon's looking for, you know, hotel reservations in El Paso or San Diego. So
0: Oh lord. Oh gosh. That that would be a disastrous set of events. Even a if disastrous. I, mean, it, well,
1: I mean, even if they did end up, let's say like they ended up in the in the Holiday Bowl against a team like Michigan, you know, which could be a ton of fun. Uh, it still probably wouldn't be representative of the type of year they had.
0: So for sure. Very, very much like Washington state last year when they didn't get a new year's spoke, like that would be right. Like, yeah. That would be horrendous, but I don't think that Georgia is going to beat Utah simply. I mean, and the main reason is because uh, they have a wide receiver who suspended Deandre Swift probably won't play and then their other top wide receiver is out as well. So so yeah, so that's going to be very tough and they got Stingley who's fantastic who's a, uh one of the best corners in the country. Uh you got Utah and Colorado. Colorado 40 uh 15, Utah 45. I know. Uh, Colorado started out the game 7-0. And with all the wacky results that have happened in the Pac-12, I actually tweeted out said, there's no way Colorado beats Utah r- in Utah, right? I mean, like there was – I mean, there was a – because they went down and scored pretty easily. And I was just like, there's no way that this actually happens. I mean, there's no way. And, of course, it did yeah. not happen. They got absolutely – demolished <laughs> 45 to 15 and I've I owe Utah a big apology I said that Tyler Huntley that he would need to be special and great in some games and truthfully I have not given him the credit that he deserves this man has been fantastic he has been consistent he's been a leader um his stats just don't jump off the page to you. Cause when you look at the um when when you look at the entire conference and who is, you know, who are the top passers, all of that, he's number one in pass efficiency in the conference. But you know, when 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 you look at the stats, he doesn't stand out with the Josh Gordon's. He doesn't stand out with e- even the Justin right. Herberts or Keaton Slovis because he is ninth in the conference in passing yards. Because you got guys, uh, Anthony Gordon threw for five thousand yards. Slovis threw Slovis and Herbert threw for three thousand yards. Jaden Daniels threw for twenty seven hundred. Jake uh, Luton twenty seven hundred. Dorian Thompson Robinson even threw for twenty seven hundred yards. Jacob Easton twenty nine hundred. Montez twenty eight. And then you got Tyler Huntley at twenty seven hundred yards, and and only six touch and, and only sixteen touchdown passes, which is, I mean, I mean only J, it was tied with Jaden Daniels. Oh no, no, I'm sorry, he was behind Jaden Daniels, so he was the threw the ninth most touchdown passes as well. I mean, Khalil Tate almost threw as many as he did. Yeah,
1: and I so here's the deal: they're doing this whole Huntley for Heisman campaign, and it's cute, you know he's. He definitely deserves more recognition than he's getting. I'm not sure the way to get that recognition is to uh, overshoot the mark so hard that you end up getting laughed at. If Tyler Huntley was to win the Heisman, it would be like giving the best middle reliever in baseball um, the the Cy Young. You know, it, just because he's got the best whip and the best ERA, you know, it it doesn't. He's not a starter and he's not a closer. He's an excellent player. They're having a really good year because of him you can also make the argument that he's like the fifth best player on this yeah, team. Zach, Zach Moss has and that, been carrying the low man. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so the, the way that I look at this is I, you know, I get why they're doing it and I, I appreciate them for it and he does deserve recognition, but I don't want to see him show up in New York and be the number fifth you to the number five uh, in, in Heisman boats and get embarrassed to the point where, you know, it was, it wasn't even close, you know, and would they just be happy to just have him in New York maybe or whatever. But I mean, he, I think I had tweeted before the game. I was like, Hey, uh, Tyler Huntley, if he throws for 500 yards a game and rushes for 200 yards a game, he'll still finish the season 600 passing yards short and 300 rushing yards short of where Kyler Murray was last year. (laughs) Who was the Heisman (laughs) winner? So it's like he's it, it, just not in the same league as a Joe Burrow. Or I mean, I watched Justin oh, Fields throw a touchdown fantastic. with a knee brace on. Lord have mercy. Oh, boy, that's a guy that you're not winning in. You're not. You're not winning by with him according to the system. You're winning because he is better than even the system. And so, you know, it, it's really to me it comes down to Burrow or Fields or, or Hurts. Um, and then you know the the fact that you can even mention Tyler Huntley in the same breath as far as team success, I think is important enough to Utah. But I also don't think I don't think anybody should be out there making realistic arguments that he's deserving of the Heisman. They should Kyle Whittingham maybe win yes. Coach of the Year nationally, perhaps. You know, should, should could Tyler Huntley be in consideration for like Pac twelve Player of the Year? Uh, I, I would give absolutely. It to Zach Moss first the, the Heisman to be thing honest. is just. Yeah, and I, 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 and you and I feel similar to that. But if even Zach Moss is in on the whole Tyler Huntley thing, then you know <laughs> who's to stop Utah from giving all that love just to their quarterback? But so, I mean, I, I think that he's he's been excellent. They should be proud of him. Statistically, he's the most efficient guy out there. Um, he deserves a ton of praise for for his effort. Um, but oh, the Heisman oh, thing oh, has oh, just been sure. kind of like good. you
0: can't. Like give a guy a a quarterback, a Heisman trophy that's not running the triple option that has multiple games under 20 passing attempts. You know what I mean? And and he only has 16 passing touchdowns on the season. That doesn't mean that he's not having a fantastic year because he's making plays like he's making special plays when the team needs him. He'll have a scramble, convert a third down, get a pass off, throw a touchdown pass. I mean he's doing great things. So there's nothing taken away from him. But a Heisman candidate? Yeah, nah. Nah. And if, and also yeah. if you wanted the campaign, you should have started like to, 5 months ago.
1: Right. And to close the door, to close the door on Colorado season, you know, it's amazing that they go 5 and 7 for 2 years in a row, but how much better people feel about the direction of the program right now than they felt in the middle of their seven-game skid that they ended the season on last year. Um, Mel Tucker is doing something special. He does have the ability to recruit. He does have recruits excited. I think they just lost their quarterback commitment to a a, a decommitment recently. But uh, still, the, the class seems to be filling up really well. There seems to be a lot of excitement and buzz around that program. And depending on what happens with the rest of the Pac-12 South next year, there's there's no reason to think that if they don't find somebody to take over for Steven Montez, that they can't be competitive. And an interesting career comes to a close for Steven Montez. He was a he was a big body. He was he was efficient. I think he deserves to go back. Um, you know, he broke a bunch of school records. He deserves to go down in history as one of the better Uh, CU quarterbacks, you know, they've they've had a lot of success at quarterback um, going from Sepho Lufau to Steven Montez, but that just goes to show you, like, it's not about your quarterback. You have to have other pieces in place. They're going to really have to focus on shoring up that defense if they want to be competitive in this
0: conference. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You cannot win in the Pac-12 without a good defense because the offenses are so capable of scoring points. And I 100% agree with you on everything that Mel Tucker is doing, and how this five and seven season looks so much better than last year. Partly because there was expectation because they were five and zero, oh. and then you lose seven straight games, and, and then. But this year, that Washington win I thought was crucial. That Washington win changed the entire trajectory of how people feel about about this team. And going forward, Mel Tucker is obviously, you know, he's going to be dangerous in the Pac-12, which is going to, which ironically hurts the Pac-12 on some some levels. Because if you're the Pac-12, you want your conference to look just like the Big Ten and like the um, SEC. You want some really, really good teams, like some top tier teams who are going to destroy everybody else in the conference. And then some really good team, and then some other good teams who won't lose to the bad teams in the conference. So, so you have, you know, uh multiple. So you, so you have teams that go, you know, two teams that go eleven and one, or eleven and one, ten and two, like Oregon and Utah. But then if you bump up USC to a nine and three team, or a, and then bump up like. Um, you know UCLA or Arizona State or Washington up to a ninety-three team too. That makes the conference look much much better, I think. And then you can and then you can have you know bad teams there too, like teams that I mean, because in in the SEC there's rooms for there's room for Missouri, (laughs) there's room for Tennessee, there's room for Vanderbilt. Those things are necessary to have the top of your conference at least appear even stronger. Yeah, and also, I'll
1: I'll throw this in there, uh, LaVisca Chenault is uh, is somebody who um, maybe had a down year, but he's shown that he can get banged up a little bit, which is exactly the reason why I think we'll see him move on. Um, because, you know, you you only got right now. I'm really curious to see what NFL team picks him up and how they uh, choose to to make use of him. Uh, he's a really talented guy in his college career, but it felt like he did so much more than um, and I'm really going to see if he does like a second round pick or something like that. But somebody could put him on special team. I, I think he'll be an immediate impactful player.
0: Yeah, he's going to be a good NFL player, I, I believe. And he should have a good career as well. I think that should not. We will be hearing more about him on Sunday than even we heard about him on Saturday. Uh, you got Arizona and Arizona State. Um, I know that you were heavily invested in, in this game because you got the Arizona Amstens. The Arizona Amsden Wildcats, and you have the um, <laughs> the uh, Arizona Ralphies, <laughs> the, the Sun Devils. Because you you cover down there, you know all the players, you you know personally and all of that. What was your take on this game? Because it wasn't just, it wasn't as decided as it. It was weird because I was watching it, and it felt like Arizona State had control of the game but that Arizona could have been a player or two away from, from catching up or winning the game.
1: Yeah, weird game. Arizona State had four trips to the red zone in which it was you know three field goals and then them taking a knee in victory formation at the end there, or else it could have really gotten out of hand. Uh, but you never really feel like you're you – know, they, they weren't producing on offense. They were, um, it took them a really long time to get you know Benjamin going, and then he just took over the game in the second half. They weren't going downfield with Jaden Daniels the way that they did against Oregon. Probably part of the reason why a lot of the offensive staff was relieved of their duties the morning after this game is because there's just been a lack of consistency as far as what the offense is able to produce. But one thing that they have gotten better at is they're getting more production out of the offensive line. They're figuring out how to use Eno Benjamin with this young offensive line. Um, you know, Frank Darby did his thing where he drops one big pass a game. He got that out of the way, but he did draw two very important pass interference calls that led to some points for ASU. Um, uh, What it comes down to is Arizona is just a bad football team right now. Uh, There's not really anything they could have done. I mean, ASU tried to help them stay in that game early on, and it still didn't work. Um, Arizona's got a lot of work to do. Um, to improve, and ASU's got a lot of work to do to make sure that they're maximizing the, uh, the talent that they put on the field. This game wasn't a surprise. It didn't, you know, it wasn't going to be a uh, it wasn't going to be a situation where you know U of A was going to get to go to to a bowl game anyway. Um, but for Arizona State, you know, I think it was important for them to get that third win in a row. Over. And that keeps the family because you yeah. let go of Todd Graham, who won 28 games in his first three years for a coach who, and you let him go after beating Arizona um, in his sixth year, and he went to a bowl game five out of six years And you let him go for a coach who has back-to-back seven win seasons. But you want to make sure, if you're only going to win seven games, that you cap it off with a win over your hated rival. And so that's very, very important for Arizona State fans. And it's let let a lot of Arizona State fans sort of digest a season in which they lost to some very bad teams like UCLA, Colorado, and UCLA, uh, but also beat Oregon, a ranked Cal team and a ranked Michigan State team. Um, it's it's letting them you know feel a little bit better about how confusing this season has been.
0: Yeah, but does not it feel you know like at Colorado with Mel Tucker that the Arrow feels up on Arizona State because of Jaden Daniels? The recruiting seems to be going well. Like it, it like it seems like there is a plan and it and it is being executed.
1: Yes, I think so. The the Jaden Daniels thing you know, you're talking about a quarterback who um, has two interceptions on the year and he's thrown over 300 passes. Um, I don't think Arizona State's ever seen anything like him. And, you know, you got Andrew Walter, Jake Plum, you got a lot of really good quarterbacks in Arizona State's history. Um, You know, Manny Wilkins was even a three-year starter who, uh, who, who did some, you know, pretty decent things for ASU, but it's very, very evident that Jaden Daniels is special. He has to be protected at all costs by the staff, which is another reason why I think they're going all in on finding maybe some some uh, better fits as far as the offensive position coaches and everything like that. Um, so, yeah, th- there is definitely some optimism there, um, but also the realization that they lost to three teams that they probably should have beat, and that's – you know that 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 goes along with it. Is it Herm Edwards' fault that they played to the level of their competition? You know, yeah, but
0: they also, uh, won or was it, was
1: it the fact that, yeah, they did what they they've won a few games that they probably shouldn't have. Um, and part of that's just the you know, the home field advantage. Uh, but you know, they went out to Lansing and they and 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 they managed to get it done out there too. So who knows, man? I, I cover this team as closely as you know anybody out here, and I, I don't I don't really know what to. I don't really know what to say. There's definitely a lot of things that that should be looked upon positively, but you still have to bring a critical eye to it because the results are the results at the end of the day, and it's still just another seven-win season. Yeah,
0: that's very true. The the last game that wrapped up in the Pac-12 was the Cal Golden Bears, 28, UCLA, 18. Um, I will note, again, UCLA won four games this year, Ralph, four games when you predicted one. I wish they had gotten yep. to a bowl game the way I could yep. really spike the football, but they did not. <laughs> um I thought the biggest note from this game was how big of a difference, how much different Cal looks with Chase Garbers at quarterback. They finished seven and five. And if Chase Garbers had been healthy, it uh John Wilner's su- suspicion that they could have won the Pac-12 North doesn't seem that far-fetched at this point. I mean, you yeah, you're right. You are absolutely
1: right. And I, I like Chase Garbers. I don't put as much stock in him as a quarterback as you know, maybe maybe you do. I, I think that, you know, there are other quarterbacks that mm-hmm. even by Cal's own admission that they'd probably rather have. There's some really good freshmen in the in, in the league this year that showed the ability to throw the ball, but he's just, I mean, he's a leader. He's, you can just watch him progress. He's an easy kid to root for. Um, and just the difference is night and day when he's on the field versus when he's not on the field. So, uh, I do want to give a shout out to Brett Johnson. I don't, he doesn't listen to this or care about, uh, you know, anything really at all, but he, you know, he had a huge sack of DTR, uh, last night, tossed him over the midfield logo and I had tweeted, I was like, Brett Johnson is going to be a future star. And Cal's recruiting coordinator quote tweeted me, said, no, he's a star right now. And I was like, oh, that's all well and good. But I mean like Cam Jordan paychecks NFL Pro Bowl type star. I don't mean college star. I think that Brett Johnson is going to be a future NFL first round pick. And it's cool to see him finally uh, getting out there and getting some stats.
0: Yeah, I'm looking at Chase, Chase Garbers. Finished with 230, touchdown and a pick. And he clearly wasn't ready to play last year, but he was thrust into playing. This year, he's been significantly better and even won the Stanford game, making some big plays and throws with his legs and um, some, some throws and runs to win the game. And I'm just sitting there like, I, next year, I expect Chase Garbers to be a, a pretty yes. doggone good quarterback. I mean, when, when you look at he's clearly a kid who works on his game. And if he's better than he was this year, like if he's 10% better, that's a big deal. I mean, even 10, 12% better, that's gonna put Cal in a position to where if they can reload the secondary on defense and replace the linebacker, this this is gonna be another really tough team to deal with.
1: Yeah, they're, they're, Cal is a team probably from the Pac-12 that I'm most interested to see what they do bowl-wise because it feels like their style matches up well against anybody. If they're going to do that thing where they get 200 yards rushing, 200 yards passing, uh, they're going to be formidable against anyone. And I'm we're, Evan Weaver, it's going to be good to see him have one last go uh, against uh, – I'm assuming they'll line up against a talented offense, but – uh, wherever they end up, that's going to be a bowl game that I'm really interested yeah. in watching. Yeah,
0: for for sure because they have showed up out of conference. Yeah. They did beat Ole Miss already. They they are a team who represents when they go and play other teams. Uh, so so that's it for the um, for all the games. But I, I wanted to touch super super quick on the recruiting with. The conference because I think that that is a big deal because I always say that you have to whether you retain a coach get rid of a coach any of that that it should be based upon the hope like how much hope can you sell for the future and all of that and I look at you know teams like Oregon Oregon can sell hope right now I think Washington can sell hope still sell sell hope to kids because they have a they have one of the top where uh, Washington is sitting at number de- – de- depending on which rankings that you lo- look at, they're in the mid-teens, you know, 15, 16, 17 as far as recruiting. Oregon's sitting around 9 or 10 – well, n- nine, 9 through 11, depending on where you look at. And you have – after that, you got Stanford, Colorado, is doing well recruiting so is ucla and arizona state and i mean it's just i don't understand like like how usc is sitting at number 11 because they could recruit when they were on probation so how can't they recruit now ralph because i know your ears to the street with all these uh college with all these high school kids
1: It's really simple. They don't know if Clay's going to be there or not. And, you know, it's not like the kids unionized and feel like they can force the issue or anything like that on on his hiring or firing. But when everybody's talking about, you know, some guy is going to be gone uh, and they're, they're recruiting bases in that state in Southern California, then you have a bunch of, you know, handlers and high school coaches and parents who are basically telling their kids, you know, hold off or look for something that's going to be more stable. Um, and, you know, you have kids committing to places where they know that they <laughs> they want to go to USC, but they're committing elsewhere. You know, that's why you had Brew McCoy go to Texas and then immediately come back. That's why you had Chris Steele, you know, get his commitment to USC leaked and then decide to go elsewhere and then immediately want to come back. And so, you know, these kids want to go to USC. They want to play where Reggie Bush played. They just want to know – who it is that they're going to be playing for, which in my opinion is stupid and short-sighted. Like, just go play for the school you want to play for. Forget who who the coach is going to be because even if they do get somebody that you like, chances are that person's going to be gone in three to four years anyway, you know? And so uh, well, it's...
0: See, see, I kind of sigh. I, I, I think that you have to measure both things because if you are a... You know, if you are a... I think on defense, it's a little bit easier. But if you are a quarterback, then you want to know what kind of style of play that this guy is going to bring in, or if he be, if he's willing to adjust to your skill set. And if you are, you know, if you're a running back, and if you're a big 240 pound running back, and Chip Kelly comes in, that's not where you want to be. Yeah. You know what I mean, yeah, he did it with Legarrette Blunt, but. You know that's not his typical mo. So I do think that that's a little bit important, and also, you know, but but you can't change. You can't go to a school just for a coach either. It, yeah, I think it gets tough.
1: Well, I mean, and you're you're starting to see some of the some of the dominoes fall. ASU thinks they're in a good position with some of these kids. Um, you know, depending on what USC does, we'll see if they're in a good position to close out their recruiting class. Some, you know, some chips are falling for Utah. They got a kid named Kane Savage uh, out of Anaheim that I'm a big fan of. But, you know, you, you just had Noah Sewell commit to Oregon. Doesn't get much bigger than that, which reminds me, Panay Sewell is going to be going up against Nephi Sewell in the Pac-12 championship. So it's all about the Sewell family right now in the Pac-12. Um, and uh, and And you got some really, really big-time recruits that you want to see if you can try to keep home. You know, it didn't work for... DJ Uyagalele, but you know Justin Flo is still available, and if Oregon can find a way to pull him, and I know that USC and ASU uh, are supposedly not alive in this, but they they believe that they still have a chance to get his ear. If you can keep some of those elite kids home, it'll help drive this conference and make it worthwhile to watch for years yeah, to come. Yeah,
0: and so so where do you see the recruiting? Not 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 necessarily the. Um, You know, like what kids are going going where, but where do you foresee the recruiting classes finishing for these teams for the um, for the Pac-12 conference? Well, there are some teams
1: that have so many spots open um, that you're going to it'll be interesting to see just how they fill out USC being one of them, Utah being another. Utah's got a bunch of spots open. They haven't really secured very many commitments at all. And they have a chance to play for national championship. So that'll be really interesting to see how, if at all, their recruiting is influenced by how far they get into into this whole deal. Um, But, you know, I, I don't really foresee too many drastic changes. USC is going to jump up to probably maybe fifth or sixth, just based on the number of recruits they get toward the end. Um, but as it stands right now, this is a you know this is a class that that you know o- Oregon is probably going to absolutely run away with as far as the Pac-12, and you might see a surprise from ASU. You might see them finish number two in the conference if they can finish strong.
0: How about how about Chip Kelly and UCLA?
1: Uh, they have their system they have their weird system their weird way of doing things and they believe that it works Um, they should be toward the middle of the pack as far as the overall recruiting rankings Uh, but by next year you should start to see some of it pay dividends um, with just the people who have been in that system for a while who they've been able to get bigger in the weight room and it'll be interesting to see if they make any coaching decisions because if everybody else is, there might be some
0: pressure on them to do it as well. Totally agree. And ju- just on the wire, I just saw that um, that Graham Harrell may be interested in leaving USC to be Texas's uh, offensive coordinator. Oh, man. So you got another guy who
1: who left Pac-12 country. Well, a few guys who left Pac-12 country to go out there and be at, at, you know, at Texas. I'm not sure if that would cause Bajan Robinson to jump from being committed to Texas to being committed to Ohio State because a five-star running back might not want to play um, for Graham Harrell after watching what all the USC's running backs did this year. So that could be huge, huge, huge for Ohio State. Um, but it could also be really, really huge for a guy like Jake Smith who scored, I think, seven touchdowns as a true freshman after being the National Gatorade Player of the Year out of the state of Arizona. So. Um, but you also might have, I mean, you, that might bring USC back in on Bajan Robinson. You never know.
0: Wow. Dude, this is going to be interesting. Uh, you guys are listening to the Pac-12 Apostles. Thank you guys for your time. Thank you for your energy. Make sure you guys share the feed. Tell a friend about the podcast. Peace out. Catch you guys later.